Genesis chapter 32 and verse 22, speaking of Jacob, Genesis 32:22, and we read, And he, Jacob, rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. And we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his precious word. A downcast man once came to me on a Sunday morning. He's rather downhearted. He says to me, Pastor, I'm very sorry to tell you that my wife isn't going to be in the service this morning. She's having an argument with God. And I said, well, I don't know what the argument is about, but I'm pretty sure I know who's going to win. You know, you can never win an argument with God. And in Genesis chapter 22, we find Jacob has been engaged in one argument after another. He's at this point located between the past struggle with his uncle Laban and a potential struggle with his brother Esau, who he hadn't seen for 20 years, and they had a dispute that was outstanding that needed settling. And so Jacob had taken the courageous decision uh, to go out of his way and to face his brother and to make some effort at reconciliation. It was a prospect that really filled him with fear and, and all the more so as he hears that Jacob is approaching him and he's coming toward him with an army of some 400 men. But before we get to the end of that particular story, we see what happens uh, you know, as these brothers meet in the next chapter. But for the moment, we find that God intervenes and God meets with Jacob. Well, why is God meeting with Jacob? And why at this particular point is God meeting with Jacob? Because he wants Jacob to see that his real struggle was not with his uncle Laban, nor with his brother Esau, but that his real struggle all along had been with God. You know, I grew up in a house full of boys. 
There was four sons in our house. It was, as you can imagine, a quite a rowdy house. And uh, we're all rough and tumble boys, you know. We didn't, you know, we're, we're boys that all like to uh, just, you know, get out and play football and rugby and whatever. We're all uh, sporting guys, and and we enjoyed all of that stuff. Uh, but you can imagine that four boys, if you if you have me brought up in a house full of boys, you, you have no idea what goes on. When every now and then, well, not every now and then, almost on a daily basis, there was a wrestling match. Somebody got into a, into a wrestle with somebody. Not, not always in anger. A lot, most of the time it was just fun. And we were wrestling with each other. And what would inevitably happen is the younger brother would end up on the floor with an older brother on top of him. And he'd be shouting, submit, submit. And the younger brother would clench his teeth and he'd go, no, I'm not submitting. And then your older brother would move up your body onto your chest and he would put all his weight on your chest and squeeze every last bit of breath out of your body and as your face was going blue and you were about to pass into eternity, you said, I submit. And there was instant and immediate relief when he got up off you. How difficult it is for us to submit, to give in, to surrender. You know, speaking of us now as, as Christians, even as Christians, it's sometimes hard to surrender. We know what the Bible teaches. We know what God wants from us. But there's this fight within us. There's this reluctance. There's this unwillingness to bow to it. We've already seen in Jacob's life, how Jacob was saved at Bethel, how that he saw this ladder going up into heaven. And of course, that ladder represents the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a picture of Christ. But that was only the beginning of Jacob's story. Just like in our story, we can all tell of the day when we were converted. But listen, conversion isn't the end of the thing. Conversion is the beginning of the thing. And we find that in the Christian life, there are struggles along the way. And Jacob had his struggles. We've been through some of those struggles. And we soon realize that God wants far more from us than just mere conversion. He wants more than to just save us. He wants to sanctify us. And he wants us to live lives of consecrated service. God did not save you to sit on a church pew. He saved you to serve him, to glorify him, to exemplify his gospel and his spirit and and, in and among those around you. And Jacob, he's at this place where he needs to surrender to Christ. He needs to submit. He needs to see that although he has been saved by the grace of God at Bethel, at the house of God, his battle all along now has not been with Laban nor with Esau, but with, with God. And that was a battle he was never going to be allowed to win. And here at the end of this chapter, we find a moment of consecration. His moment of consecration. Here's the moment when he finally got it. Here's the moment when he finally surrenders. Here's the moment where he gets a victory. And it's God's victory in Jacob's life. And the first key to that victory was that Jacob was left all alone. With God. We'll see that in a moment. 
And the second key is that Jacob was brought to the end of himself. He, uh, he was brought to the end of his own strength, of his own will. He was broken. All his confidence in the flesh had to be brought to an end. And this was done in this wrestling match when his, his heavenly opponent cripples him and leaves him in a position of weakness. You see, once he was crippled in the way that he was, Jacob was in no position to fight his brother. He couldn't take Esau on in his own strength. He was disabled and so 400 men were coming his way and and Esau leading them and Jacob was completely powerless to do anything. He had to depend upon God. Now listen to me. You you, You never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. Did you hear what I said? You never know That God is all you need until God is all you have. And that was the place where Jacob was brought to. He was brought to the place where he thought, you know, I'm I'm committed now. Esau's bearing down on me. He has 400 men with him. I'm in no position to take him on. I've got to rely on the Lord. God was all he had. And we too, like Jacob, struggle and we strive and we fight and we resist. But we must realize that God is all we have and that surrender to the Spirit of God is the ultimate answer to our needs. That's why Paul, in writing to the Romans, said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your Listen to the word now, reasonable service. Literally milk service, baby service. You know, sometimes we think we make a sacrifice unto the Lord that we're doing some great thing. But the word of God says that's not a great thing. That's expected, it's reasonable service. Given what Christ has done for you, it's only reasonable that you should return sacrifice to him. You should give something of yourself for him. And so Paul says that we're to lay down our bodies, present our bodies a living sacrifice, a holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, most basic milk baby service. And he says, and be not conformed to this world. How quickly the world conforms us. Catches our thought life and our, and our heart desires and, and, and molds us and shapes us and pushes us into, into the, a corner and, and makes us think that all the things of this world are, are really what matters. And Paul says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. You need to be changed. He's, talking, he's speaking to Christians. He's not dealing with the unsaved here. He's not saying to some unsaved person, you need to be changed by the grace of God. He's saying to Christians, you need to be changed. You need to be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. You're going to have to start thinking differently. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Jacob was about to experience that surrender 
in his life. Now let's look at verses 22 and 23 and remember his trouble. Remember his trouble. It says, And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had, all that he had. Now as I mentioned and as you covered last week, Jacob has gone out of his way to meet his brother after 20 years of estrangement. The two haven't met in all of that time. And although Jacob comes now at this point and he's really groveling before his brother, he's heading toward, his brother's heading toward him with this army of 400 men. Jacob is filled with apprehension, with fear, with concern. And he's terrified if the truth be known. And he believes that his, his wife and his wives and his children are about to be wiped out by Esau. And so he sends gifts. Remember, he sent gifts ahead to Esau. And he lays out before him in his approaching path, wave after wave after wave of presence in the hope that Esau's anger will somehow be stayed. You know, we read the, read the, 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 uh, the, the, the litany of gifts that he gave, 220 goats, 200 sheep, 20 rams, 30 camels, 30 calves of the camels, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 horses, 10 foals. You see, Jacob knew Esau very well. And he knew Esau was a fleshly, materialistic kind of fellow. And so he knew from past experience that he had, that Esau had surrendered his birthright for a mere pot of stew. And he thought to himself, well, you know, if he would surrender so much for a pot of stew, certainly if I give him a lot more than a pot of stew, he's likely to, he's likely to feel more favorable toward me. And so he sends all of these gifts in the hope that at the end of this procession, he will be able to tell by Esau's demeanor, by the look in his face, he'll be able to tell whether or not all is well and what needs to be done. Look at verse 20. He says, And moreover, behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face. Peradventure, perhaps, he will accept me. Now here's the thing I want you to see about Jacob. He was willing to surrender a lot to his cause. But in case you missed it when I read it earlier, the scripture doesn't say this, uh, present a lot as a sacrifice. It says present yourself, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You see, here is the thing. Jacob was willing to sacrifice a lot in order to win over Esau, but God didn't want him sacrificing a lot to gain Esau's interest and and, and grace. He wanted him to sacrifice himself to God. You know, the hymn writer wrote that great hymn. You've sung it, you and I have sung it many times in our Christian lives. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. We get to the chorus, I surrender all. Uh, But, you know, Jacob revised that chorus, as it were, and he says, well, I've surrendered a lot. 
He says, I'll surrender my goats. 220 goats, I'll give you those goats. And if, and if that's not enough here, have 200 sheep as well. And, and really, if the sheep prove insufficient, well, I've got a few rams. And, and if needs be, I'll give you some camels and some cows and, and even some horses. You know, but here's the thing. God doesn't want your goats and your sheep and your camels and your cows and your horses. God wants you. And he wants me. He wants it all because he's worthy of it all. So as Jacob mulls over in his head, he, he, he makes a, a critical decision at this point. He, he moves his family across the river Jordan at a place called Jabok. Now Jabok is a point at the river Jordan, halfway between really the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. And the word Jabok or Jabok means emptying. Jacob came to a place of emptying in his life. A place where he needed to pour out himself to the Lord. To give up being Jacob and to simply commit to the Lord. Listen, I wonder, have you ever come to that place? Young person, have you ever come to that place where you've surrendered yourself to the Lord? Have you ever come to that place where you've honestly said, Lord, I I surrender all. I'm pouring out myself to you. You just do with me whatever it is you want to do. Whatever the cost, whatever the sacrifice, Lord, it matters not. Jesus gave his all for me and I'm surrendering my all to him. Have you ever come to that place? Lord, all that I am and all that I have and all my ambition, everything is yours. No longer am I going to be deceived by my so-called sacrifices. By the giving of many goats and sheep and camels and cows and horses. No, Lord, I surrender my all to you without reservation. You see, by crossing that river, here's what Jacob did. He moved into Esau's territory and he made himself completely vulnerable to Esau and to his army. There's no point of, this is the point of no return. There's no going back. There's no retreat. Once he gets across that river, he has no defense between him and Esau. He could have used the the river as a barrier. He he could have, he looked at Esau from the far far bank and said, well, things aren't well here. We've got a bit of a head start. But no, he moves across the river. He moves toward Esau's army and he sets a course in the will of God. And and by doing this, he's now completely at the mercy of God. We would say of him, he's burned his bridges. Have you burned your bridges? I witness his triumph in verse 24. Jacob was left alone. They wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there.
Now I want you to notice verse 24 in those opening words it says, And Jacob was left alone. Sometimes, friends, you just need to get alone with God. Sometimes you just need to make a space just for you and and for the Lord. And nobody else is party to that space. And here Jacob gets alone and he wrestles with a man, we're told, until the breaking of the day. Now that's what's called in Scripture a Christophany. This is the Lord Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnate form. Now he hasn't taken upon himself human flesh. That takes place in his incarnation at Bethlehem. Uh, but, uh, but at this point in time, you know, he's taking upon himself a human form. He appears as a man. You know, say, well, say, how do we know this? How do we know this is Jesus? Well, you know it because of Jacob's words in verse 30, where he says, I have seen God face to face. For perfect surrender, we must get alone with God and we must want to spend time with God face to face. You see, Jacob is wrestling with God, or rather, actually, God is wrestling with Jacob. He's seeking to bring Jacob to the end of himself, to the place where he's no longer self-sufficient, no longer living by his own wits, no longer living by his own gifts and abilities, no longer living by his own smarts, but now he's totally reliant upon God. Now it says something for the willfulness of Jacob that he wrestled with this mysterious man all night long. Took him all night to surrender. I wonder, is that you? Are you putting up a fight? Are you saying, I know what God wants from me, but I'm not giving in? I know what direction the Spirit of God wants me to go, but I'm not going that direction. Is that you this morning? You know what the Lord would you know what the Lord would have you to do, and, and you know you should totally surrender to him, but you're fighting him and you're resisting his spirit in your life. Let me tell you something. God has as long as it takes. Do you realize that? You see, your life and my life is in the process of passing away. Every day we're another step closer to eternity. Every day we're another step closer to the end of our lives and to its assessment by God. But God has all the time in the world. God doesn't have to rush us. But we need to number our days and apply our hearts unto wisdom. And sometimes we're wrestling and fighting against God. But God will take his time. And finally in this instance, though he's wrestled with him all night, God touches the hollow of Jacob's thigh. And, and now, what that means exactly, we can't be sure. But it seems like there's some kind of dislocation takes place. And, and so what happens is that Jacob is rendered completely powerless. And that's exactly where God wants him to be. Powerless. Then the Lord says to him, Let me go for the day breaketh. He's still wrestling as the dawn is, is uh, coming on. Now, of course, Jacob is not really able to hold on to God. All of this is 
very much hyperbole and pictorial. You know, he couldn't really cling to God forever, for God could surely, the Lord Jesus could surely have crushed him like a gnat in a moment if he'd wanted to. But that's never God's purpose. So the Lord says to him, let me go for the day breaketh. Essentially what he's saying to him is this, look, Jacob, it's morning time and you have an appointment with Esau. What are you going to do now? Now listen to Jacob's pitiful cry. He says, I will not let thee go except thy bless me. Friends, is that us? Is that us in the prayer closet? Do we just pray and get up and go? Or do we say, Lord, I can't let you go until you bless me. Until I know that you're going with me. Until I know that you're on my side. Until I know that you will be all to me that I'm ever going to need today. He says, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. He says, Lord, I can't do this without you. I can't go and face Esau. I can't go on my own. I can't lead my my wives and my children into this confrontation, Lord. I must have your blessing. Hosea tells us at this point he is petitioning God with, with tears that he wept and made supplication unto him. He's a broken man. Now listen as the Lord whispers to him. What is thy name? He says, I can't do this without you. And the Lord says, what is thy name? He says, go ahead and say it. And he said, Jacob. He said, I'm a cheat. That's what the name Jacob means. He said, I admit it, I'm a cheat. I'm a fraud. I'm a liar. I'm a supplanter. I'm everything your word says that I am. What a a shameful admission for Jacob to have to make. He said, Lord, I'm nothing but a rotten sinner without you. And do you realize that's all we are? We who sit here in a, in a fundamental Baptist church on a Sunday morning and, and maybe people look in and think to themselves, look at that crowd going to church there and points past on a Sunday morning, holier than thou, holier than nothing. We're nothing but a gathering of rotten sinners saved by the grace of God. That's all we are. And that's all you are. And that's all I am. Sometimes it hurts our pride, even as Christians, to say, Lord, that's all I am. A cheat, a fraud, a liar, a supplanter, a hypocrite, whatever else. You see, at the last, Jacob saw himself for who he really was. But God, and I love this, God says to him, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob. What do you say? No more Jacob. I've had enough of Jacob. I've had plenty of Jacob. 
I've seen enough of Jacob. No more Jacob. Thy name shall be no more Jacob, but your name shall be Israel. Literally, Sarah L. Prince with God. You know, he gives him this unique name, and it's a name now that, that really accords and identifies with his standing. It's a name that identifies with his course from this point on. God says to him, Jacob, you've come to this place of powerlessness and surrender. Now you've admitted who you are. You've admitted what you are. You've admitted your unworthiness. You've admitted your powerlessness. I want you to know from this point on, life is changing for you. You're no more Jacob. You're a prince with God. Now walk as such. Do you realize you're a prince with God? That we're a kingdom of priests and princes. That we're heirs together with Christ. That we should be walking that way. No more Jacob, but Israel. And in return, Jacob asks this question. Wherefore is it? He says, what is thy name? And the Lord says, why for it is just I ask my name? He says, tell me, tell me, I pray thee thy name. And, and the Lord says, verse 29, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? He says, don't you know my name? Don't you know who I am? Now here's the thing, friends. When God is dealing with you, you know it. When God is working on you, you know it. You don't need me to explain it to you. You don't need even God to explain it to you in very simple terms because you know in your heart of hearts who's dealing with you. And God does it work in your life. There's no mistaking it. And Jacob knew who this was. He knew he was dealing uh, with God. And then we read, and he blessed him there. That's all Jacob needed. That's all I need. That's all this church needs. We don't need programs. We need God's blessing. We need to know the blessing of God resting upon us. From the pulpit to the pew, every one of us needs to know that God is blessing us. It says he blessed him there. That's all you need to know the blessing of God upon your life. You don't need anything else. Now listen to his testimony in verse 30. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. He says, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And he passed over Penuel, and as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him. And he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and the sinew that shrank. He called that place Peniel, which literally means the face of God. Now I want you to think about how Jacob has progressed in his walk. He was saved at Bethel. That was the house of God. Then the next place he named, we saw it last week, was the place Mahaniam. That was the place of two companies. He saw that God was protecting him and preserving him. But now he's come to the most holy place of all. It's a Peniel where he sees and has seen the face of God. 
And from that day on, Jacob walked with a limp. It says he halted upon his thigh. It was a gentle reminder of that day when the Lord got a hold of his heart. Everywhere he went, he limped. And it told the story. And it took him back to Peniel. And it says, there was a day when you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you became in practice and principle a prince with God. Now walk that way. Walk that way. Friends, are you totally surrendered to Christ today? We're not singing that hymn this morning, but if we did sing it, I wonder, could you sing, I surrender all? Or is it really a case of, well, I surrender some? Or even I surrender a lot? I remember a lady one time very seriously looked me in the eye and she said, I do enough for the Lord. I do enough for the Lord. Not doing any more, I do enough for the Lord. Well, is that what God wants of us? Enough? Or all? Is Christ calling you to a place of total consecration to him? Maybe you need to be baptized. You're wrestling with that. You say, I know what the Bible says, but I haven't done it. Well, why haven't you done it? Why don't you just surrender to the Lord and say, well, if that's what God's word says, that's what I'm going to do. You know, I spoke to you a week or two about membership and and the importance of membership and maybe you've been wrestling with that and you're thinking well I know that's what the Lord wants me to do but there's a part of me that doesn't want to do it listen you need to surrender all everything is Christ calling you to that place today you know in 1887 a child by the name of William Borden was born into one of the wealthiest and most powerful families in the United States In 1904, he graduated from a Chicago high school and as heir to the the Borden Dairy Estate, he was already a millionaire. When he graduated from high school, he was a millionaire. Get this, for his high school graduation present, his parents gave this 16-year-old boy a trip around the world. 1904. A trip around the world. And as this young man traveled the world and he went through Asia and Middle East and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting peoples. And, and he, he wrote back to his family and he, and he shared a desire to be a missionary. One friend, upon hearing this, expressed surprise that he was, in his words, throwing himself away as a missionary. When William Borden heard that his friend made that comment, He took his Bible and he opened it and he wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible two words at the back. He said, no reserve. Those were the two words he wrote in his Bible. No reserve. During his university years, Borden made another entry into his uh, his personal journey and, and it was something that his classmates saw in him and they saw that he was committed to Christ. And he wrote this entry, say no to self and say yes to Jesus every time. Upon graduation from Yale University, no less, 
He turned down several high-paying jobs. He turned down potential pastorates. He was offered to pastor good churches. But he was determined to be a missionary. And so under the words, no reserve, when he was offered these other jobs and the world was trying to turn his head, he wrote two more words, no retreat. He went on to study at the famous Princeton Seminary in New Jersey. And uh, when he finished his studies there, he left for China. But he was hoping to work among the Muslim minority in China. And so he stopped en route to, in Egypt with a purpose of studying Arabic. And while he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis. And within a month, William Borden was dead at the age of 25. On his deathbed, he opened his Bible to those previous statements and he wrote two final words in his Bible. No regrets. No reserve. No retreat. No regrets. That's what comes with full surrender. Are you ready to give up and to give all For the Lord Jesus. Are you ready to put up the white flag of surrender. And say Lord. I cannot let you go unless you bless me. Are you prepared to die totally to yourself. To say no to self. And to say yes to Jesus. Every time. Are you prepared to live totally for him. No reserve. No retreat. No regrets. Listen to me. Whether you believe me or whether you don't. Just like Jacob. God will never settle for anything less. You may be in an argument with God this morning. And I may not know what the argument is about. But I can tell you now, I know who will win. Why not surrender all to Christ? May God bless these thoughts to your hearts this morning.